Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostross, the host. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you get a moment, hit that subscribe button. Head over to disrupteducation.co. You can read my blog, see where I'm going to be. I do uh, quite a bit of master classes and, and a lot of different things. So head over to disrupteducation.co and I'd love to connect with you there as well. I'm also a proud member of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network. If you head over to edupexperience.com, you can take a look at the podcast network there. There's so much going on in innovation across education, K through 12 and post-secondary college and even beyond that, lifelong learners. If you check out that podcast list, there's some amazing things going on and amazing conversations at upexperience.com. On this podcast, I have Jonathan Lau, and he is the COO, the Chief Operating Officer of Instride, and it's the strategic education partner of choice for businesses creating sustainable advantage and social impact through the continuous growth of their people. And Jonathan is responsible for end-to-end learner success, helping learners make informed decisions that advance their career aspirations by delivering effective products, services, and technology. I got to tell you, this is a great conversation. Um, We talk about building purposeful and sustainable organizations and education together. So the the enabling of the connection between the employer and the employee and that learning journey. Um, Instride is changing the way we do education and helping businesses uh, close gaps. This is a great conversation. Hang tight, we'll be right back with these messages from Trust-Based Observations. With current methods of teacher evaluations not improving teaching and learning, it's time for a change. With a frightening teacher shortage among us, if we want teachers to stay and we really want to improve teaching and learning, we have to transform the way we observe and evaluate teachers. Trust-based observations provides that transformative change. You see, we understand that first and foremost, We're in the people business. If you want to build meaningful, differentiated, trusting relationships with each teacher and develop safe spaces where empowered teachers embrace taking those risks to grow practice because they know they're supported, you want to head to TrustBase.com. The results in these types of observation methods outlined in TrustBase observations are going to be improved teaching and learning and workplaces where teachers want to stay. Trustbase.com. Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. I'm Peter Hostrosser. Hey, thanks so much for being here with you, with me today. I'm here with you. Um, I'm here with Jonathan Lau from uh, Instride, the COO, and I'm extremely excited about this conversation about employers and, and employees and working with Instride and understanding how all these things come with education and skill sets. Jonathan, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, well, thank you so much, Peter. I'm super excited as well. You know, I think lots going on in the world uh, related to workforce and talent and, you know, lots being talked about. So just really excited to have the opportunities. Awesome. Well, that was a really brief uh, introduction for you. So you're the COO of Instride. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you do and and what are the things that Instride is doing? Sure, absolutely. Um, So let me, maybe I'll start with Instride. So, you know, Instride started um, really as kind of the origins in the program between Starbucks and Arizona State University, the Starbucks College Achievement Plan. 
And you know what we saw there was just something that's such a transformative program by when an employee, when an employer, a corporation is willing to invest in its people, right, and really make a difference and be thoughtful about it. That you can really make a difference in the people's lives, in the business itself, and really transform that um, whole piece. And so, as ASU looked to scale that model, right, and try to figure out how else could we get more employers to do this as a way to really, uh, maybe the name of your podcast, disrupt education, right, so to speak. How do we scale that? they realize very quickly that you know most universities public universities aren't built to do that themselves right and so that was really the genesis of why we said let's create a company like instride that is built very purposely as a public benefit corporation to scale this model to more companies and more corporations to really kind of disrupt that education and so you know since its founding we've served more than 42,000 working adults we've uh, working with partners like aramark carvana magna banfield pet hospital LabCorp, Prime, right? But all these different partners and really working with them to find ways to offer transformative education programs um, and workforce development programs really for them um, to really help not only solve things like student loan, right? So, you know, through our programs, folks have, we've helped folks avoid about $400 million in student loans because companies are paying for it, um, but also really just driving real impact at the corporation. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure. Um, so just really excited. And, you know, over time, we've kind of continued to expand that knowing that corporations aren't looking only for undergraduate degrees or only for certain types of things, but how do we think through non-degree options and skill options and short courses and boot camps? And so making sure that we have that whole gamut. And so when we engage with a corporate partner, we can really tailor it to what their strategic objectives are and build a program that's fit for them to solve their business needs. So that's really kind of what we've been doing with Instride and uh, we're hoping to continue to grow and very excited about that. I am super excited. I got to give a shout out to Carvana because number one, awesome work there because my uh, my wife actually bought her last car on Carvana. Super, nice. super cool experience. And um, so, um, well, let's dig in first before we jump into, you know, all the different things that are happening in workforce education. I have to ask, what was Jonathan like as a student? What was your what was your <laughs> educational path? Um, and and, you know, take us through that journey. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so, so it's fun, right? So I like um, I'm wildly fortunate, right? I will I will be the first to admit it. I, I've been wildly fortunate just throughout my education. Um, you know, I, I think there's a Chinese saying, "Mongu uh, Sanqian," which is this uh, this uh, philosopher. Their mom moved to three different places to make sure that philosopher went to a good school, and that was my parents, right? There was always what's the right school? So I changed school a few times actually growing up because my parents wanted to make sure I was learning Chinese, I was learning English, I was learning all of that. And so I was very fortunate in kind of growing up in that space. And then my parents said, you need to go to boarding school because that's what you need to go do, prep school, right? That's what it means to go be successful, to get into a good college, you need to do that. So, you know, my parents just constantly, because they saw what it did for them, right? They were both immigrants. They came to the US because of college, right? They were able to come because of university, they got the degree here, they then got their advanced degree, and then they became lawyers, right? Lawyers, accountants, and others, and been very been able to be successful in life. And they saw what that did for them, and that's what they wanted for me. Um, and so I was very fortunate in that um, and was able to go through very good schools, right? And throughout. But I think the interesting thing on um, that I found was um, my education didn't stop there. Right. Um, and so when I graduated, um, I was looking at different things to go do. And every single job that I took coming out of uh, after, you know, my uh, um, my college and master's was because that company was willing to invest in me in education. 
right? So my first job was with Microsoft. And right at the time, they were creating a marketing leadership recruit program. So they, you know, I was part of a group of like 30, 30 or so individuals, a cohort, and they sent us to executive education. They had rotations. They helped us grow. Right? My next job was with a consulting firm uh, with McKinsey. First thing they did uh, as part of the kind of negotiation, they sent me to a mini MBA. So they had their own mini MBA program. And so I've been just very fortunate to see like when an employer is willing to invest in you, right? As an employee, one, it makes me want to go work there. Right? Two, and of course, like I remember very fondly, right? These employers and what they've done for me and the leg up that they've done. So that loyalty is always there. Um, and so when I kind of continued my journey um, and, you know, to become an investor and an executive at, a, you know, different companies, I realized what I got was not normal. Right. Uh, and so I, you know, I went to an operating company and a learning company. And, you know, when we looked at kind of the LD offerings for my team, I had a team of like 300, 400 people and our offerings to kind of transform. And it was like, wow, this is like so hard. Like, how do we go give them the education, the learning, the, right? Oh, well, we have tuition reimbursement. We'll let them go figure it out. Right. And it's just so different when somebody says to you as part of recruiting, as part of the conversation, we're investing in you from the very beginning. You come with us. We're going to take you on a career journey. Then the, hey, we're going to hire you. Good luck. Figure it out. <laughs> Maybe do something type thing. And so, you know, for me, I got to, you know, when I was then, you know, my you know prior role to Instride here, I got to run a large team. And a big part of that large team was actually creating and you know, working with L&D to figure out how to transform my folks, my workforce, and help them get that leg up and continue to grow and get you know more digital. And it was just hard. It was just so hard. And so when we kind of started Instride, we looked at this and, and when we were looking at kind of what are the different problems and the challenges we can go solve around education. So one of the things is like, how do we just even make it easier just for a corporation? Like why does this, why should it be so hard? Right. It's so easy for a corporation to say, oh, let me give you free lunch. Let me go give you gym membership. But why would it be so hard for, to, you know, for an organization to say, I want to invest in my people education and skills right? and so that's really a big part of what we were trying to do i can see in your path why you are a perfect fit for instride and, and how these things are kind of uh, evo uh, evolving so you know how how you know education is a benefit now um and it, it used to be just okay we're going to reimburse you but now it's diving deeper into the actual person um and and it is an important benefit to both the employee and the employer, which is uh, amazing. Um, I just, I'm very curious. So what, what are some steps that, that leaders can take to successfully start this and really realize that this, this is something that is going to give you returns. I know there are certain places that I've worked that was just like, Hey, go ahead. Good luck. You know, and here's some candy on your appreciation day. Um, but I've also been to places where, you know, you've had the mentors and the people who have actually not only given you an opportunity to, to learn off and outside of the, the, the corporation, but also inside the corporation. Um, yeah, some, some steps that, that leaders can start to take to successfully kind of upskill and reskill their workforce uh, in these crazy times of employment, you know, fluctuation of numbers. Yeah, uh, so I think the really exciting thing, honestly, I mean, look, we, we obviously are in crazy times, as you said, right? But, um, but I think one of the things, thing, you know, maybe side things, 
maybe not a benefit of, of but one of the things that obviously came out of it was just, I think, this recognition now by companies that their people matter, their workforce matters, right? Whether it's, like, you look at the supply chain, whether it's staffing the front, like, the front line, whether it's, right, all of that, I think, just really came to the forefront of people's minds, right? And so, you know, I remember, you know, before pandemic, when you talked to CEOs, it's kind of like, oh, I get the people thing, but, you know, I got my products and I'm running this stuff. And, you know, I really got to invest in technology to automate some stuff here and there and machine learning and AI and all that, right? And it's like, oh, I got to focus on those fancy buzzword type things, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, my people, yeah, they're fine, right? <laughs> um, but as we kind of went through, and of course, early on in the pandemic, it was like, oh, no, I, I, yeah, you know, running around like your head chopped off and trying to figure out what's going on, right? Um, but as you kind of, uh, as we went through it, I think people just really came to this realization um, that, wow, like your workforce is your company, right? Like that is what makes it, right? Like day to day, it is the people that are at your company that are making the decisions, that are holding the pieces together, that are problem solving and working through things, that are delivering the value that you expect and you need to go convey. Um, and I think that's really helped be in that mind, that seed, that seed hopefully has been planted in now in, in most executives' minds. And I think the bridge that we're, we'd spend a lot of time on is making that connection between that little seed in your mind that says, yes, my people matter. And when I say my people matter, I need to invest in my people and think of them as an asset that is, right, that is as appreciating, right? It's not, and it's not a, HR thing. It's not a, oh, let me go, oh, look, CHRO, go figure out my culture, right? CHRO, go figure out my people, right? It is core, right? If you are a CEO, if you're a business unit leader, if you are, right, but literally every single, like CFO, right? Like every single person at the C-suite should be thinking, uh, hopefully thinking now, wow, my biggest challenge going forward is am I going to have the right people with the right skills that allows me to build a sustainable business going forward. And I think, and I think when you start getting to that point, right, and then you start saying, okay, so then what is the lever that I pull? Like, so if I want to go make that happen, what are the levers I pull? And that's where why workforce education is so important because it is one of the few levers that you can pull that deliver, as you said earlier, the corporate value, like the, the real financial tangible value, right, of recruiting, retention, upskilling, right, skill, like just engagement, right? So there's real tangible things that we can quantify around the financial return, but also delivers so on so many of your ESG commitments as a company, right? More and more people are saying, hey, what's your plan for sustainability? What's your plan for society? What's your plan, right? And this is one of those few things where it's the smart thing to do and it's the right thing to do, right? When you invest in education. And I think that's one of the powers of what we can do um, as we kind of bring this to the bear. And I think unlocking that in the executive's mind, I think that's our biggest piece. And I think that's what executives can do is just really think about your own people differently. And, and you know, what's interesting about this is how is this affecting post-secondary level institutions, right? So you've worked with Arizona State, which is very inno innovative, um, probably one of the most, I think it was ranked the most innovative uh, in this area. How, it used to be you come out of college, 
and then bam, then you, you get into a corporation and then, you know, you do your job. But then there was that separation of corporate was looking at post-secondary like, yo, this isn't working. Like your students are coming out and they're, we're going to have to retrain them. And they, they didn't see that as an opportunity, but you guys see that as an opportunity. So like, you know, how effective in, in strategic leadership comes into play with this? What's happening between those two institutions and what do you guys see going forward? That's the, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, Peter. Like, so, you know, prior to this role, I ran the skills business at uh, Ascendage, right? As a large publishing company. And one of the things we saw was exactly as you said, right? You go talk to the employers and they're saying, hey, I can't hire people. The people that are coming out don't have the right skills. I don't understand why they're not like teaching the right thing. I'll just give me the people, I'll train them. Right? And so they're kind of on one side of it. And then you talk to the institutions and the academic institutions on the other side and they're saying, I don't know what the employers want and I don't know how to get them through. And by the way, I'm measured on employment now, right? Because gainful employment and, and I'm measured on employment and I want to make sure these are employed. But somehow like they're not connecting the dots around like what that looks like. And there's all these conferences where they were trying to bring the workforce and they were, right? And I would go to all of these and you would see the two sides and one side would be like, oh, I have these workforce people at the community colleges or the academic institutions. And then you have all these like recruiting people and somehow they kind of, kept talking past each other. Um, and so one of the exciting things about, you know, when we started Instagram was like, how do we bridge that, right? Really, and, and I think uh, you know, AS, you know, Michael Crow likes to say, we're a boundary spanning organization, right? Is how do we kind of help the different clock speeds and the different people, uh, these different stakeholders connect, right? Because we know, right, like corporations, they're ROI, speed, configurability, right? Ease of use, administration, right? Turnkey, right? All of those things, like just give me to give it, make it easy, make it fast, right? Make it better, productive, cost efficient, right? And then you talk to, and they're, and they're not that those aren't things that they want to do, but they're also very, very, of course, rightfully so, learner outcomes, learner success, right? Graduation rates, right? Um, admission standards, right? And, and all of those things. And of course, delivering quality institution. And sometimes, you know, they're maybe not moving at the talk in the same language, uh, moving at the same speed. So I think that's the beauty of having organizations like us as we can go, uh, you know, work with folks like the Arizona State University, the City University of New York, the University of Memphis, the University of Virginia, right? All of these amazing institutions, right? And say, well, this is what corporations are looking for, right? Here's all the corporations that we're talking. This is what they're looking for. This is this is how they need to go serve. This is you know, are they looking at cost? Are they looking at accessibility? Are they looking at admissions? Are they looking at graduation? Are they looking at type of program, right? Do you have the right type of programs? What type of programs do you need? Are they the right length, right? And so we get to bring that information to these academic partners, and you know, we've been very selective. And the academic partners we work with because we only want to work with partners that want to work with corporations and serve the working adults right and it's not for everybody right i mean that's the honest truth like well you know we've talked to lots of academic partners and a lot of them are like ah you know i'm not really ready for that um, you know we have a bunch of other stuff our academic units aren't really focused on this right we got to go through a bunch of different teams and right some aren't ready for it right um but the ones that we've worked with i mean they're jumping in right they're saying tell us give us the information they're hungry for it Right. Put us in contact with the corporate partners. Tell us what they need. We are here to stand ready to serve right, these corporate partners because these learners, these working adult learners, I mean, this is where it is, right? This, like, if you think about the life cycle of learning, right, you can either serve the folks that in that four years, the traditional student, 
right? You can either serve a learner that's in those four years and then hopefully make, you know, you probably never see them again. Or you're talking about serving somebody for the rest of the 60 years that they have to work. Right. And so if you think about even from an, you know, traditional economic sense, if you're an economic professor or you think about finance, right, you say, wait a minute, should I focus on the market of the 18-year-old, right, traditional, or should I focus on the 60 years in which something needs to work and this lifelong learner? How do I serve them? Right. And vice versa. And how do we bring that same academic expertise to corporations so that the corporation feels like they're actually heard? and that they're getting what they need and they actually are finding the right people to fill the talent gaps that they have. I, if I've, I heard that, that a university is working with, now I'm telling you I'm a parent of a junior in high school. If I heard that and they're working with this entity and my son or daughter is interested in that, I would actually be more privy to send my kid that way, right? Like, I think it's also a recruiting piece for um, the, the post-secondary uh, education pass that, that we have. Now, we know that, you know, there's, there's a challenge for universities. Um, now they're feeling the pinch on the other end, that 18-year-old, that traditional student coming in. And then also, you know, what do I get out of this? Um, it's brilliant. I still, for some reason in my own, and I'm sure you've had these conversations in your own head, why is this not working? And now you're creating these things um, with, with, within Stride. Um, let's take a look down the road, like five years from now, right? Um, let's see if we can put your wizard hat on and try to, you know, wave the wand and see what happens here. Exactly. Um, uh, besides understanding what the lottery numbers are tomorrow, but what would you say in education, like how do you see this thing evolving? What, what do you see, um, you know, Instride is a, is a significant game changer here um, because when I heard of it and I did my research on it, um, it's amazing because I'm like, duh. I mean, you know, it just makes sense, um, which sometimes in education we don't always make sense. Um, but what do you see? What do you see happening in the next five years? Um, because we are looking at a different type of learner. We're also looking at a different type. And I'm talking about the next generation coming up. But you're also talking about adult learners and the way we learn and where we learn. So what are some of the things that um, you're seeing, you know, employees or employers actually looking five years down the line? What what are what are some trends that uh, I'm going to give you the the opportunity to say, hey, this is happening in five years. I'll I'll show this again, and we'll yeah, we'll catch up then, and then I'll I'll, I'll say check 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 check. <laughs> well, so there's so a couple of things I think um, uh, that that are like I mean they're fairly clear secular trends, right? One is just online the acceptance of online learning. Right, and I think uh, again, you know, pre-pandemic, there was always a little bit of like, oh, but my workforce, my learners want to go on campus, and they want to go in person, and they want to go at night, and Charlie, they want to work, and then you know, go to a night school and all this stuff, and so they need, and and you know, we were trying so hard to get. I don't know if that's actually the thing that they really want. Like really going out, working a whole day and then having to drive somewhere to go sit in an in-person lecture hall. Yes, some folks will want to do that, but probably actually going home, sitting in front, having dinner and then being able to go online and learn and have that asynchronous. Um, and not, you know, um, I think a lot of folks may kind of um, hopefully don't kind of mistaken truly like what we have of working adult online learning with kind of what the folks did during COVID, which was just throw a bunch of stuff on Zoom and then just watch some lectures, right? Like right, what we, what the university we work with have been serving online for so long and really built that modality in a way that you can really truly be immersive 
right? In, even in that online environment. And I think that's kind of, that's out of the, like, that's, you know, cats out the bag, like it's going, right? And, and I think COVID accelerated that. And I think now, right, there's no conversation that we have where, where, where our core partner's like, oh, my people only want to do, oh, online learning, great. That makes a ton of sense, right? So, so, so I think that's only going to continue. And I think the interesting thing about um, most markets that go online is that there's a natural tendency to go towards scale, right? Because what ends up happening, right, is, you know, as you get bigger, as you, right? And I think that's what you can see with some of our partners, right? Um, ASU, University of Memphis and others, right? Because they start having scale, because they have start having trash, they can invest more, right? And they can, and so you have natural kind of economies of scale in a lot of these. And so you'll end up probably with, you know, a, a smaller sets probably of just really, you know, top-notch online programs and kind of providers. And I think that's a trend that we're gonna to move towards. And I think we'll see that five years from now that you're gonna end up with a few of these that really are top-notch because with online, you're no longer just local, right? You're no longer just, your brand is no longer local, right? Your brand is really um, nationwide, it's even global, right? To a certain extent, right? That, that being able to do that. So that's clearly one. Um, I think the second thing that um, um, we'll see, hopefully, uh, is that this just becomes normal? I think, as as you said, Peter, even for yourself, right now you're now you've heard it. Now you're saying, hey, my son, maybe at the dinner table we're chatting about like where do you want to go, and you know, and of course, look, there's still going to be a, a large portion of people that's like, oh, you know, my kid wants to go to play sports, right, or yeah. other things, right, and of course, or they want to have a experience, etc. And I think that's great, and, and and of course, folks will want to continue to do that. Uh, but I think there's going to be a different set of folks that are going to look around and say, huh, um, you know. Well, I want to make money, um, and you know, I think more and more, um, you know, talking with Gen Zs, and uh, this is like a lot of folks have side hustles. <laughs> like they're they're working on the side. They're on TikTok. They're on YouTube. Right? They're doing all this stuff, and they're like, but I, like, what can I do? Like, can I? Like, I'm used to now making money. I'm used to now, etc. Um, you know, how do I, uh, you know, continue to feel like I can go make money and support myself and etc and get my education, right? And so it's not in, right? Um, whereas other, you know, I think historically you might've said, oh, I have to kind of give this up now. I'm gonna go to school and maybe work like a cashier job at the, you know, whatever campus store, right? And then hopefully, and you make some beer money, right? And then you come out of it and you have a bunch of debt because all you got was some beer money and then now you got to work your way up, right? And so um, I think really that's the hope here, right? And, and, you know, we talk, there's a lot of talk around like, wiping student debt and, you know, all the stuff, which I think, you know, is tremendous. And if we can do that, I think, great. But I think the question is, how do we avoid the student debt in the first place, right? And if we can get corporations to play their part in this, which is, by the way, the rightful part, right? Because honestly, the beneficiary of a more skilled worker is the employer. Right? So, so if there's anything that you should invest in, right? Like, you know, as a company, it's like invest, if you invest in your people, every dollar you're putting in is accreting value to you, right? And so why wouldn't you invest in your own people and grow it, right? And so how do we just make sure that recognition is there? And how do we encourage like, whether it's regulation or other things that will further encourage this, right? I mean, and you probably know, right? You know, there's the 5250, right? This magic number, right? Around like, that's the tax-free amount that a employer can invest in. Well, there's no real reason it should only be 5250. It was just kind of set that way, you know, 1050, right? It's set that way. Um, and one of the things that's been 
funny in these or interesting in these conversations as a corporation is because the government kind of set that number, corporations are so wedded to that number, right? Even though like actually many corporations would be like, actually, I'd love to cover full tuition, but this is the tax amount of the government. You know, if I go over 52.50, then the employee has to go pay tax. So why don't I only pay 52? And you're like, no, no, <laughs> like that's actually the wrong way to think about it. This is so valuable to the employee that you should be investing more. But it's, again, it's because of some of these things that just some of the historical um, things that we have. But I do hope that this just becomes the norm. You know, yeah, there's a couple of things there. Um, then you just shift over to blockchain. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. <laughs> so, um, but then, I mean, you, you think about, I, I think the other, the other aspect, um, and you, you let me know, is this what's happening? Is this the benefit on the organizations is one of the biggest benefits is, you know, I would talk to a lot of corporations. Um, I, I, I interact with a, a few HR directors because as a high school business teacher, we want to know what the next generation is looking for. Um, and, Keeping an employee for two years is now a win. And and then you have to go through the whole, you know, restructuring skills sets and, and bringing somebody in. And that those costs are probably going to be in addition to that 5,000, 52.50. Um, and that's probably going to be way more than just throwing out an X amount of money a little bit over that. Um, to educate your, um, you know, your employees and keep them on. Um, one good success story um, that you, you know, you don't have to mention names or, or businesses unless you want to. Um, shoot it out. What's what's the best? Like, what is a great success story that you have seen um, that you can see that man? I would love to replicate that. So I think there's, uh, I guess, many different types of success stories. And I think, look, one of the beauty, one of the exciting things about workforce education is um, your success stories come in many different ways, right? You have the success story for the company in terms of the benefit, the financial benefit. You have the success story of the brand and the loyalty that it, it, the, this has. You also have the success story of the learners themselves and how transformative this is for the learner and, you know, avoiding debt and, you know, going back to school. So, um, you know, maybe, and, and, and a lot of it also depends on a, a big part, the strategic objectives of the program, right? So, so, as a, uh, so I'll just throw out a couple of examples, right? But, um, you know, today, for example, 20% um, of the people that joined Starbucks um, as a recess cite the fact that it's the SCAP program, the Starbucks College Achievement Program, is the reason why they're joining, right? right? And so if you think about that from a recruiting perspective, Right. And then you can talk about that. And, and, you know, it's it's a battlefield out there. Right. To go recruit people. Right. But when you can say like, yeah, 20 people walk in the door and say, yeah, I'm ready to do this because Starbucks believes in me. Starbucks believe, you know, believes in education. Right. And that obviously makes a huge difference. And, you know, for somebody like us, Starbucks, right, having enough people to be able to keep your store open right, makes a difference. Right. In terms of your profit. Right. Every hour you open longer is more people coming in because they just always have people. The shorter the wait times, the more people are happy, the more food. Right. So all of those, like the people aspect of it, and you know, the whole experience of Starbucks is around the people and the barista and the whole ambiance. Right. And so being able to keep people um, makes a huge difference. And uh, you know, and people that um, are participating in education stay, you know, 50 to 100 percent longer. Right. So your retention is much longer. And again, thinking about not only do you bring somebody in, but you think about 
wow, what's it, what does it take to train a barista, right? To be able to deal with Jonathan's order who would like, like to pick like the random <laughs> milk and the random sugar levels and the different levels of ice and the, right? <laughs> making sure that's right. I mean, think about like, what does it take to train somebody in doing that, right? And what does it mean when somebody decides, you know what, after three months, they walk out versus, as you said, right, they stay two years. That's a huge difference, right? And think about that. That's a huge, also just think about the, it's different in terms of the stress levels of the manager and managing the store. And, and so all of those, right? And so, so clearly there's like, and again, that's huge successes for the company, right? And that's why obviously you continue to do that. Um, similarly for Uber, right? Their, their successes are around ensuring that they're keeping their best drivers. And that they continue to bring on new drivers, right? I mean, one of the things with as we went through COVID is, you know, all these folks stopped driving and they're trying to bring all those drivers back on. And again, having drivers is the lifeblood of Uber's business, right? You don't have drivers, right? Prices go up, people don't want to take an Uber, right? And so they got to bring these drivers back on. And again, education plays a huge part. And I think the beauty of the of what we what the Uber program is, is not only do, are they saying, oh, you, you know, you can use that as a driver. But you can, if you want, instead of using it yourself, you can also give that benefit to a dependent, right? And so now you're driving for your family, right? And your family's getting education paid for, right? And that's, again, something just, so if you think about, and, and you know, actually the, the family members generally are going through at a higher rate. They're actually being successful getting enrolled because they're that excited about it, right? And this is so meaningful for them. Uh, and again, so, you know, that's a success from a kind of company strategic goal of what they're trying to do, right? Is keeping and retaining these amazing um, drivers and what they're trying to do. Um, we were working with a retailer um, uh, recently and we're doing some of the math, right? I think you talked a little bit about actually the math of, and kind of the, what the ROI looks like. And what we were able to show just on retention alone, right? Just looking at the retention rates and of people participating in learning versus not, right? After paying for the tuition, it was basically saving them $2,000 a person because they were churning, like their people were just churning through so quickly, right? But when the person actually is participating in education and you're actually funding their education and you're actually believing in them, right? Those folks stay and they're willing to like be more loyal. And again, and that's just some simple math around retention rates, right? That's not even counting like the overall broader benefits, engagement, all of those things, right? And so I think that's some of the math to your point that we can go do and that we try to do to go demonstrate success there. And of course, I mean, just the learner stories are just absolutely amazing and transformative, right? Um, one of our corporate partners, um, the executive, one of the participants actually is the assistant of one of the executives that were the prime sponsor, like one of the main sponsors of the program. And so every day the sponsor got to hear from their assistants how amazing, right, this transformed because the assistant would never have been able to go back to school, right? She had to go leave, she had to stop because of family. She had ended up, you know, with kids and you know, had to take care of it. And then, you know, then eventually went back to work and just kind of stopped the education. Um, but because of this, that assistant now not only is way more engaged, of course, right? And, and of course, so grateful for the company and, you know, even grateful for the executive. Um, but it also means that, you know, forever more, they're going to be loyal. They can, and there's now a growth path and a career path for that person, right? To grow out of that and do more even than their role. And again, that's just, those are the, um, 
just life-changing i think stories that you get to hear every day so that's that's gotta it's it's changed from a either or right i'm either gonna work or i'm going to go to school or get educated somehow in different entities to a yes and I, that's what Instride. That's amazing, and I and I really encourage people to to head over. So where I, I want to kind of round out here, um, how can people get involved? Um, corporations, uh, we we have a lot of uh, educators who are interested. Um, how how can people connect with you and Instride and and learn a lot more? You can always reach out to me. Uh, I'm easy to find. Uh, John at instride.com. Uh, but uh, obviously, we have our website, instride.com. Uh, you can, of course, always get connected there. Um, you know, we have lots of different avenues to get to us. But um, no, uh, we, on the academic partner side, we're always looking for great education institutions, great education providers who want to serve um, working adults who think that this is a market that you know they're willing to kind of work with us on to make sure that you know they can serve them correctly they can help those learners be successful because um, it is a little bit harder right it is it is not right they're not full-time they're part-time right they have to go you know obviously between work and life they're now trying to go into education so it is you know there's a higher investment in many cases around student success and services and stuff like that so um but if you're if that's what you're excited about and you're interested in that of course we love to work with you as a partner there um, and then on the, on the corporate partner side, absolutely, just, you know, we're here, we're excited about helping design a program, right? I think our approach is very, um, to a certain extent, right, you know, as we talked earlier, right, our, the first thing we got to do is get that mindset at that CEO, CXO level. Right, because if we if if you can flip that switch, right, and again, that's a big part of what our you know uh, business development team does is to help flip that switch. Because if you can flip that switch, then the rest of the organization says, "Got it, we got it, right? We got the green light. We can go now build and kind of transform an exciting program." Um, and that's what we help you do, right? Um, and we know that it, not everybody's going to be the same, right? Some folks will say, "You know what? I just want to go make a you know I have a large front line." You know, I want to go help them, you know, help society. I want to go give them transformative degrees, et cetera. Like that's maybe some folks. Some folks may say, you know, we have partners that say, you know what, I really need STEM, right? I need people in the science field. I really have that, right? So help me build a program that really drives kind of more STEM and what does that look like, right? There's some that might say, I need it. And so we really work with them to go map all, map all that out. Right, really help them understand, right? We know our academic partners, we bring them to bear, we map it out, right? design the program. And then basically we're set up to go run these things for you, right? Like how do we drive the learn the employee engagement? How do we make sure that people understand if they're eligible? How do we make sure they can connect to the right thing? How do you get the data so you know where is the person at every step, right? Where are your learners? Right. Because at the end of the day, right, um, you know, as Instride, you know, I think one of the things we like to talk about is that we are enabling that connection between the employer and the employee. Yeah. Right. That is what education, workforce education does is really build that connection and relationship. Um, and so that's what we're here for. That is exactly what's needed. And that's the unique value proposition, right, Jalen? That's it, right? <laughs> and you know, it's it's exciting to see this happening in, in your organization and helping build the next generation of employees and employers, which is uh, super interesting. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for taking out a piece of your day to chat with me on Disrupt Education, man. We really appreciate you and the listeners really appreciate what they've just heard. 
Awesome. Well, and again, thank you so much, Peter, for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, I can see why folks love us. You got you ask great questions. So really I've got great. great fans too. So, <laughs> well, thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you next time on Disrupt Education. Uh-huh.